Welcome to Career Revisionist with Dr. Grace Lee, dedicated to doers, dreamers, and realists who want more success and satisfaction in their life. This podcast is about answering one question. How can you build a fulfilling career where it's all about doing work you love and growing your income without sacrificing your values? And now your host, Vancouver will always be her number one home, Dr. Grace Lee. Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. I mean, how many of you listening right now have read that book? It is one of the most popular business books in history. It's undoubtedly one of the most sought after books in the world, even decades after the author's death. I mean, you think about why? Well, of course, it has a catchy and compelling title. Who who doesn't want to think and grow rich, right? And it provides a very clear and unexpected blueprint on how to achieve success, right? And he's like Napoleon Hill. I mean, he was writing about how do you achieve success no matter what industry you are in, no matter what your educational background is, no matter what family you were born into, your socioeconomic status. He was saying that you can achieve success beyond your wildest dreams in any line of work, right? And so this was all about reading his principles for attaining great fortune. And when you read the book, it might strike you that, wow, growing rich is actually far more than just about making money. And growing rich has more to do with mindset and breaking down your own psychological barriers than anything else. And so what I want to do in today's episode is talk about this book. No, this is not going to be a book review. I'm not going to be turning the pages in the book and talking about, well, uh, giving a a review or an editorial on how whether this methodology or this principle works better. What I'm going to do is something a little bit different. I'm going to look at the science. I mean, is there a scientific evidence that it works? Right. Assuming that you've read the book, and if you haven't yet, I encourage you to go and read the book, and then you can come back to this episode, because then what I'm talking about will make sense. And so I'm going to talk about what's the scientific evidence of Think and Grow Rich? Because by now, this he's talking about amassing great fortunes. I mean, Napoleon Hill talked to hundreds of the world's richest people in his time, in his era, and he was interviewing them with them, having conversations with them. And that's how he boiled it down to those principles of how to achieve great fortune. And all of the people he talked to had great success. And they didn't have, they weren't born into success. They were self-made millionaires, right? And so he, that's how he boiled it down to those principles. And he was like, this is think and grow rich. And it doesn't mean that you just think it or you meditate on it. And all of a sudden money comes into you. And that's not what it, that's not what it means. Right, so this is what I want to talk about. What is the scientific scientific evidence for this book? And what does the science say of his principles, you know, of his methodology? Right. Okay. So the first thing in this book, and again, if you haven't read it, this is going to be a bit of a spoiler alert as well. The first step that Napoleon Hill mentions, this first step to riches is that you have to have a burning desire, a burning desire for some definite purpose that is meaningful to you. And it means that your desire is basically your obsession. So your mind is already convinced that you will have it. And being, and when you think of the word obsessed, most people think that have sort of like a, a negative connotation to it. But this is not true. Having an obsession is a very, could be a very positive thing, depending on that thing that you're obsessed with. So if you're obsessed, you're obsessed with being aligned to your purpose. You are obsessed with have, living a life that is inspired by meaningful purpose. That's a very positive thing to be obsessed with. Because if, because the English word obsess has no negativity around it. It just means that your mind is constantly thinking about it. It is something that you truly do desire and has a burning desire. And that becomes your obsession, 
right? All of the all of your thoughts, all of your actions go towards that thing that you desire, and that it is becomes an obsession. So when you have that burning desire and that obsession for a meaningful purpose, there's two things that are happening in your brain. There's like this is now the science behind it. Why is it? Why is the burning desire? Why is that a really reasonable first step? What's the science behind that? Because when you have this burning desire, the first thing that happens is the emotions that are associated with passion, and passion really is a strong emotion. It's an intense desire or having an enthusiasm for something. Passion really acts like the motivation to push you through the suffering that you're going to face just for the sake of achieving that desired result. And so when you think about the word passion, and I've written about this in a couple of articles, the word passion comes from the Latin word passionem, which means suffering. Really, the word passion means suffering. But the source of passion is in the emotional parts of your brain that include your brainstem, your amygdala, and your basal ganglia. These are the limbic system, they call it. It makes up the limbic system, which is where your emotions originate, how you feel them, how they register is in those parts of your brain. So what's interesting about the limbic system, these these brain areas, is that your brain activates the more impulsive and irrational behaviors that are driven strictly by emotional intensity. So these brains is part of your animalistic brain that protects you from dangers. And so relying on passion alone, if you're just relying on passion itself, it's dangerous because you might feel an intense motivation or even some sort of euphoria that you're feeling, but there's actually no intuitive direction and there's no objective reason behind it. It's just passion. It's just a a strong, intense emotion. And sometimes that passion could be a passion because you are trying to avoid a certain suffering, that some a perception of suffering, or you feel that there is a direct threat to your well-being or, or your survival in some way. So that's why pensions, passions are often these fleeting feelings that you can have, and they can change with the wind sometimes too. So that's why following your passions alone could be a very dangerous thing, especially if you are growing your, trying to grow your fortune or you're trying to grow your career from it and you're basing it on just a passion, which is why it could be a dangerous thing, knowing that they're very fleeting and they're more impulsive and irrational, right? So that's why the principle in Think and Grow Rich, it tells us to have a burning desire for a definite purpose. It's not telling you to have a burning desire and just to have a passion about it. It's saying it's got to be a definite purpose. Because we say, I mean, I've written about it in the article. I'm saying that don't pursue a career based on passion alone. Pursue a career based on your definite purpose, on meaningful purpose. Because when you pursue a definite purpose that is meaningful to you, it actually gives you direction and it'll inspire you because it provides you with the objective reason why you want to do that. It's your objective why, your reason behind it. And that motivation is greater than any external motivation you can find. So the source of meaningful purpose is actually in the higher order cognitive parts of your brain. It's the prefrontal cortex. And that area is just right behind your forehead. The prefrontal cortex, that's the area that controls learning. It controls self-mastery and it also controls your reasoning. So these are all the executive behaviors that control those emotional impulses that are in the in the limbic brain that I mentioned earlier, the the prefrontal cortex controls those areas. It's it is the purpose seeking and the fulfilling part of you, right? So that's why purpose your purpose is what allows you to repeatedly triumph over your fleeting passions. 
the passions you feel in your emotional parts of your brain that are there, it, which means suffering, those intense emotions you have. If you have purpose, it allows you to repeatedly triumph over it. Because sometimes your passions is something that you're trying to run away from, right? A pain that you perceive is in your life or a pain that you perceive of a future that hasn't happened yet, but fears associated with it. You can have a passion towards wanting to avoid that. And so that purpose allows you to triumph over it because sometimes relying on passion alone doesn't necessarily mean you're making decisions that have a rational behind it, a rationale, a reasoning behind it. So that's the first principle. The next few principles to think and grow rich talk about visualizing and believing. They talk about influencing the subconscious mind and also about imagination. So everything you've created in your present life and everything you will create in your future life is really a result of your subconscious programming. So this makes sense that Napoleon Hill and, and when he talked about when he talked to all those people who amassed great fortunes, all of them focused on the principle of influencing your subconscious mind. It's all about your subconscious programming. See, you and I have been programmed since birth. Since the day we were born, we have been programmed with thoughts, certain beliefs, values, goals, and dreams that influence our actions. And when it influences your action, it also influences your life outcomes. And this all happens regardless of whether you're aware of it. <laughs> and the reason why it happens is because we will never behave consistently in a way that is inconsistent with our programming. It's just human nature. So most of the results that you produce in your life, in your career, in your relationships, or in your business, they've been produced automatically through your conscious, subconscious mind. And the fact is that your subconscious mind is always going to be infinitely more powerful than the conscious mind subconscious is something that you're not you're not aware of you might not be able to vocalize what's going on or why that you felt that way or why you made that decision or why you have that belief or or why you have those dreams right because your subconscious mind is more powerful than the, than the conscious mind so that's why the only chance that you have to grow rich is to reprogram the subconscious mind right and that's really profound because there's no such a thing as trying to succeed you talk about, I want to have a successful career, I want to have a successful business, or I want more success in my life. You can't say I'm trying to succeed. Trying to succeed is setting yourself up for failure. Because success is no more the result of trying to succeed on, beho on behalf of those who succeed, than failing is the result of trying to fail on behalf of those who fail. Right? So here, let me rephrase that. What I mean is that People who succeed are not trying to succeed any more than those who fail are trying to fail. Both failing and succeeding, all of those, both of those happen automatically because our subconscious mind is always going to be more powerful than the conscious mind. So the neuroscientific evidence for this, it lies in an, in an area of the brain called the reticular activating system, the RAS, reticular activating system. So this system, the RAS, it's what it is, is it's a, it's a bundle of nerves and it's located in, in the brainstem. And what it does is that it filters out all the unnecessary information so that only the important stuff goes through. You have all the sensory stuff, right? From your eyes and ears, your skin, your, your pain, touch, temperature, all the senses, all your five senses that come through your, your environment, through your body, through various organs that have to be processed through your brain, right? 
there's a ton of information that you receive in the environment. The things you see, the things you hear, the things that you feel, all of those, a ton of information every second of the day. And it goes through your all the sensory perception areas of your body, and it has to go through your brain. But your brain and you yourself will be so tremendously overwhelmed if you're consciously aware of all the sensations you could possibly feeling. You'd be so overwhelmed because there's so much information from our environment. So the reticular activating system helps filter all that out. Otherwise, you'd be so busy processing all the information. How you could do anything else? So that's why that bundle of nerves, it filters out all the unnecessary information. So only the important stuff goes through and you can focus on your day. You can focus on what you want to do. You can focus on what you intend to do. So let me illustrate what that looks like. Have you ever been in a room where you were, let's say you're at a restaurant, at a busy restaurant at peak hours during dinner time, and you're at a table of 10 with your friends you can still carry a conversation with one person at that dinner table. Even if you were sitting across from that person and there's conversations happening all around you, the restaurant is loud, there's live music in in the restaurant, a lot of sensory information and maybe it's even hot in that restaurant. There's a lot of sensory information happening there. But you can focus on that one conversation from a person sitting across the table from you at some distance. You can still have a conversation with them Right? Even though there's several cross conversations going on around you. And the reason why is because of the reticular activating system. You can focus on something important like your own conversation and all the other conversations nearby, they just fade away. All the music, all the temperature, you just don't notice it because they lose value to you. They're not valuable to you. Just that one conversation with that one person is valuable to you. So your reticular activating system works on what's valuable to you and it filters out the other things that are not valuable to you, which is not important to you. So you can have that conversation. So you see the reticular activating system, it's a very sophisticated filter. It screens out all the junk. And it allows you to focus on what you value and it supports you when you set your goals. So that's why setting goals is so important because you set goals on things that are infinitely valuable to you. The RES is also a filter between your subconscious mind and your conscious mind. And this is where this is where the science behind Think and Grow Rich comes into play. So whatever you're thinking about, whatever you are focusing on enters into your subconscious mind and it appears and it reappears at a future time. For example, if you think that you are a bad speaker, like if you if you think that, oh, I'm I'm a really bad stage performer, I don't do well on stage, or I just don't speak well from stage, probably that's going to be true if that's what you think, right? But if you believe, for example, you have the traits of a likable person and, and, you, and you believe that you have the traits of somebody who people just get along with, then you most likely do, you see, because the RAS seeks information to validate your beliefs. And in doing so, it influences your actions. If you believe you're a likable person, then all of a sudden you become a likable person. And most likely you become likable. So that's what I mean. The RAS is a filter between your subconscious mind and your conscious mind. But the good news is that you can reprogram your subconscious mind. You can reprogram it to reveal the people, the information, and their opportunities that help you achieve your desired goal. Just simply by setting your intent. Right? The, the method here is to set your intent. 
Setting your intent is like sending a message to your to your reticular activating system. It's sending a message to your RAS saying that you're expecting success to happen with certainty. That's your intent. You want that success to happen. And now you are setting the expectation. So in effect, what you're doing when you do that, when you set the intent, is that you are marrying your subconscious mind with your conscious mind to make something happen. Right? You are willing it to happen. Your subconscious where your, is where your will is. You make your voluntary choices with your subconscious will. So you're marrying the subconscious mind with that conscious will so that you can take action and make that happen because you are expecting it to happen. So you're preparing your subconscious mind and your reticular activating system for the journey towards achieving your desired goal. And your goal represents the end result that you want to achieve. So setting your intent actually helps your reticular activating system and it helps your subconscious mind stay focused on your burning desire. And your burning desire, again, is not your passion. It is your meaningful purpose. It is your, your, your true purpose. So that's the third. That's the second thing. The third thing was your imagination. Because if you remember from Think and Grow Rich, they talk about the imagination. That's one of the key principles, right? Imagination is a step towards growing rich. So your imagination can change your perception of your reality. So if it's, say, for example, you recently moved to a new city, right? You chose a new city, you moved to it, you've never been there before, but you wanted to go there, you wanted to take a, a job there, and you moved to a new city. But you're not quite sure about your new neighborhood. So say you, you didn't have a chance to visit the city beforehand, so you just arrived on scene, moved into your place, which you, which you arranged to rent that place from a distance, from your, your old city. So now you move to this new city and this is your first time exploring the neighborhood and you're not quite sure about it. And you walk around and there's a lot of things that you see that you are kind of, you know, kind of iffy about. You're like, I don't know about this. I don't know about that, right? And that is your reality, your perception of your reality. So if you imagine, to change that perception, if you imagine specific scenarios where you are spending quality time with your loved ones in your new neighborhood and you keep imagining those scenarios where it is spending quality time with people you love spending quality time with your best friends spending quality time with your children with people you love right in that new neighborhood you will be able to see a positive change in attitude about your new neighborhood so your ability to imagine a scenario creates mental imagery in your mind And this process of creating mental imagery, of imagining, it involves a network in your brain called the ventromedial prefrontal cortex, right? The ventromedial prefrontal cortex. And that is at the bottom of the prefrontal cortex. Remember, the prefrontal cortex is right behind your forehead. And this ventromedial prefrontal cortex is behind the forehead, but it's below the prefrontal cortex, if you can imagine that. So it's on the lower side of your of your forehead. So your evalu- so now you have this pre- your your mental imagery from your imaginations. And imaginations with loved ones, a positive imagination can change your attitude. Your evaluations of that mental imagery bear a direct relationship to your performance on the task in the real world. Let me say that again. Your evaluations of your own imaginations, the way you evaluate it, And you get to control that because your imaginations, you can imagine whatever you want and create whatever mental imagery serves you well. And when you evaluate it, that has a direct relationship to how you perform in the real world, right? And the reason why is because with mental imagery, 
you can actually see how things might have been or could be in the future. So the stronger your mental imagery is, the stronger your creativity is. Because mental, strong mental imagery is associated with creativity. Mental imagery is also critical when you are organizing your life on a day-to-day basis. So being able to imagine objects and imagine scenarios allows you to successfully think about and plan future events. And it's a very powerful tool to succeed. So it's kind of like unlocking all of the intelligence resources that you need for success. When you have that strong mental imagery and you are exercising the imagination, you all of a sudden unlock these resources you never knew you had. You become resourceful. You become creative and innovative at solving problems and performing in the tasks that you set out to do to meet your goals. So once you achieve your first success that you're striving for, now the next thing that happens is that your brain releases dopamine, right? You have your first success. Your first success is very important because your first success is evidence. It is proof that you can do it and you can, do, you can probably do it again. So that first success releases dopamine in your brain. And dopamine is best known as the feel-good hormone because of the role it plays in addiction and drug abuse, right? So that's why they call it the feel-good hormone. But outside of drugs, drug use and, and all the addictions, Dopamine is there to reward you for that first success. You have your first success, your, bro- your, your brain releases dopamine, you feel good about it. Dopamine gives you motivation, right? Dopamine drives you to repeat the behaviors that created that awesome feeling when you succeeded. <laughs> Although dopamine, the response, when you, the response to dopamine is very short term, right? It's there, it releases it, you feel good, and it wears out. So it's very short term. But your brain remembers how awesome that experience was. And because there's memory of that experience, you can't help but to strive to seek it out again, again, and again, and again, because it's it's addictive. So that's why they call it the the feel good hormone because of the role in addiction. You want that feeling again, so your brain remembers that experience and wants to strive for it again and again. And there's that's that's how the motivation comes in. But here's the kicker: <laughs> there's something called the dopamine loop, right? It's when you experience repeated success. Right. It's, again, you get the success the first time, then the second time, then the third time. But the dopamine loop means that with each re- success you, you experience afterwards, the pleasure you initially had with the first success, it gets smaller and smaller. Right. So let me give you an example of that. If you play video games, I don't play video games. So I don't know this experience, but I hear people talking about it a lot because it's one of the more common examples. So let's say you're a really good video game player. You had this video game that you really like that you have completely conquered the entire video game. The first time you conquer the whole game, it feels just so awesome. And if you were to conquer it a second time or a third time, it just doesn't feel so awesome the second time or the third time. And that's because of the dopamine loop. The first one is always the highest reward that you feel, right? Because of dopamine loop. And that's what it means. But under the right circumstances, it could still drive you to seek out rewards with greater meaning. Right? It's what motivates you to accomplish bigger and better things. And more importantly, it's what inspires you to practice effective goal setting. So that's why this is not necessarily a bad thing. Right? For instance, if your, goal, if your initial goal was to land two new prospects this quarter, then your next goal would be to land four new prospects the quarter after. Right? Everything else is, just this, is the same, but it's more, you're, you're putting more challenges into it. Right? You want more challenges, more rewards, and the task of doubling your productivity and income 
right? That's 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 the that's the next challenge. So that is the positive thing about a dopamine loop. You always want to you'll you'll be motivated to challenge yourself, and it's an intrinsic motivation. And as an added perk, this also helps you weed out the work and and the goals that aren't motivating you, right? So that's the great thing about it. So it is said that. In Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill interviewed hundreds of ultra-successful people who have amassed great fortunes in their time. And he talked to them in great length. He studied their habits and he drew these principles that were published in Think and Grow Rich. And there were, I think, if I remember correctly, there were 12 principles that are outlined in the entire book. And those are his secrets to thinking and growing rich. But the thing is, the field of neuroscience was founded around the same time as Think and Grow Rich. But the field of, neuro- of, of psychology predates it by almost 100 years. Right? But the principles of success and the laws of science have always existed even before any human brain became aware of it. Right? So that is the beautiful part of Think and Grow Rich. Is it, there is scientific evidence for it that it works, neuroscientific evidence for it that it works, and psychology, human psychology, neuroscience, those fields have been around during the time and well before the time that these people that Napoleon Hill talked to, before they even amassed their success and their great fortune, right? They've become laws, if you will, right? Laws of success. They've become very important natural laws that you can tap into no matter which era that you grew up in. Right, so that is what I wanted to share with Napoleon Hill, because the thing is, nothing exists in your world and in your life unless you have a word for it. Right, so that is how he was able to put words to what they were doing. And it gave these successful people an opportunity to leave their legacy and to articulate how they had amassed their great fortunes and how they had thought and grow rich and grew rich. So I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this content, you know, give me a review, an honest review on Apple iTunes. If you don't use Apple, that's not a problem. I am available on other platforms as well. Just visit careerrevisionist.com. And on the on the topic of success, on the topic of success, if you are, I have very special, I have a very special new training for women. If you are a career-driven, educated woman, and you are wanting to think and grow rich, you are wanting to have it all in your career or your business, in your life and in your relationships, if you are driven that way. I have a special free training for you. Right? Just go to careerrevisionist.com slash have it all. And that is a training for you, for women who want to go to that next level, up level in their career, their business or their life. So thank you once again for listening to this episode of Career Revisionist. And I look forward to chatting with you again in the next episode.